0: Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in, Small Town Wealth listeners. We've got Rial Rousseau here. Uh, Rial is one of the partners at Sporing Creative, and this is kind of an interesting episode, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later as to why, but there's going to be some creative collaboration between ourselves and Sporing Creative. We've come up with a really interesting concept for the community, Uh, but we'll kind of go into that in a little bit. Um, For now, though, we want to highlight the guests that we have and, uh, kind of get to know Rial a little bit better and, you know, hopefully we'll learn something from him as well. So thanks for coming on, man. Uh, you're welcome. I, I,
1: anything I can do to help, I look forward to, uh, to sharing and moving forward with our
0: collaboration. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, man, it's,
2: it's, it's good to see you. I remember actually how we, uh, how we first met it was right after I took over the fig and um, I was just kind of like researching around. I didn't know we had marketing agencies here and that was my first little hit of Sproyne. You remember that first meeting? I
1: remember that Showed yeah. up in your motorbike and leather jacket, <laughs> <laughs> not much as no sandwich and hand change. sandwich and yeah. uh, hand was all good to go. Yeah. <laughs> not much has changed
2: in fact then, cause yeah. still showed up leather jacket and motorcycle today <laughs> and sandwich. Yeah. For the my, for league. my listeners, I'm really cool. <laughs> I'm a really cool guy.
0: <laughs> Yes, you are. Oh, you'd like to think so, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> Just kidding.
2: Yeah, no. So um, again, like, I know Shelby mentioned it, but I want to thank you as well for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. And yeah, let's uh, let's start with your origin story. Let's take us uh, take
1: us all the way back. Who is Al?
0: Because you weren't a marketer to begin with. You had a very different background, and that's what makes you such an interesting guest.
1: Far from. I was, um, so I grew up in Northern Ontario. Um, Whereabouts? Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Saint Marie population. Uh, at the time, about 80,000. I think it's okay. quite a bit smaller than that. It was okay. similar, similar to, for the BC people, similar to Cantloops, kind of an industrial, um, known for its its hockey tournaments and that kind of stuff. So Cold. I was a mullet-wearing hockey player. Mullet-wearing hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up near Ontario. i very much an outdoorsy Fishing and hunting and that kind of stuff, and uh, I think that led me into a career in forestry. So I actually went to University of New Brunswick and got a bachelor of science in forestry, and then also at the same time did an engineering degree. At the same time? Yeah. So oh, it's wow. it's a special program. I don't even know if they offer it anymore at at um, UNB University of New Brunswick in Fredericton. Um, so yeah, graduated with a uh, bachelor of science in forestry and engineering and got out into the forestry engineering um, field and took a job in Ontario as a civil engineer, with a civil engineering firm, designing uh, landfill sites and uh, was- Quite
2: a sh- the difference then. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. where you It was interesting
1: now. and then um, wanted to do some forestry stuff. so. Most of us engineers ended up in BC because Ontario's flat. Yeah, do they have forests in yeah. Ontario? We <laughs> have lots of forests,
0: which is flat. <laughs> it's, yeah, the nor- northern
1: Yeah. So it's kind of it. kinda like our northern, the BC northern forests is flatter. And whereas you get into the interior and the coast here, there's steep terrain and, and typically need engineers to help with roads and bridges. I ended up specializing in stream crossings, bridges and culverts, so I designed... Did oh, that sweet. Yeah. And that took me to uh, one point in my career, to New Zealand. as oh, wow. um,
0: What brought you to New Zealand? It was
1: just an amazing opportunity. I think I was 27 or something like that and they were looking for an engineer to lead their entire program. It was a large forestry company, um, one of the largest in uh, Australasia. So they owned a lot of their own sawmills and forests. Different than here, the forests are owned by the government. There, They're owned privately. So I was responsible for all their roads and bridges and, and all that. Wait, their...
2: so the forests are owned privately. So yeah. like somebody's got a chop tr- of land and
1: that's his forest. Yeah, so Carter Holt Harvey at the time just bought up vast tracts of land in New Zealand and Australia huh. and planted them. So the difference between the forestry there and forestry here is huge. The trees, for example, a big radii, the pine tree will will grow to massive diameter, big enough to cut down in 25 years. Whereas, in New Zealand. Yeah. Wow. Whereas here in Canada, it might take 80, 100 years to grow yeah. that, same, that same tree. Interesting. Why is that? Uh, the soil and the moisture really, and eh? the environment. The, um, That's crazy. It shaves like... It does it in a third of the time. Yeah, just yeah. like that. Eh? Wow. The tree isn't as so. BC has some of the best wood. It does have the best wood in the world. Uh, the Douglas fir, the the pine that grew in New Zealand was because uh, it grows so fast, wasn't as strong. So it's used more for crates and that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. pulp and. Oh okay. So yeah, my job was was pretty cool. Twenty seven years old, I think my my annual budget for the engineering was forty million. And I just, it was just a great opportunity. So I was over there. I was in New Zealand for a couple of years and then Australia for a couple of years. um, Started a software development company there.
0: Interesting. How did did that happen? Like where did that intersection come?
1: Somewhere uh, along the way in my forestry career over there, I left, excuse me, the large corporate and started a consulting business. And uh, the consulting business. Also, we owned our own harvesting equipment. Okay. So we were logging contractor, but also consultants. So you're consulting in the forestry business, mm-hmm. kind of thing.
2: Now, one question I have on the trend transition between uh, forestry, obviously, to the software engineering. What kind of like, what kind of person were you with your expenses? That's something I'm I'm curious about. Like, were you the kind of person that was like keeping expenses low and putting aside capital so that you could do something like that, like open your own business, or were you, you know, not having an issue to go on a vacation here and there
1: and, you know, hit
0: well, up uh twenty seven years parts, old. Right? Yeah.
1: And I was making an executive salary. Yeah. And I lived like I had an executive salary and Fair I was twenty seven years old, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. I um yeah, I can't say I was brilliant with my money at the time. Um, I think, though, I really got a gist of how entrepreneurial I was. Yeah, It was about chasing opportunities. So I was working with a large corporate. This opportunity came on to partner up with some guys, own our own company. I was the CEO and away we go. What kind of software were you guys doing? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so we developed a software that specializes in um, on steep terrain telling you where to put the harvesting equipment to optimize the solution, optimize your, your so, revenue. So
2: still in the in the forestry? It was basically. in
1: forestry, but it was a uh, specialized. It was neat because at the time it was um, had some gaming uh, technology in the background. Interesting. Okay. So we had the developer working on it. So we created this software. And then um, <clears throat> along the way, so we started this business. Along the way, um, had this idea to create a certification program within the country of New Zealand to certify people to use our software properly. Like most technical software, you need to be understand what you're doing. Yeah.
2: right. So now you weren't just selling the, the, the software right. itself, but you were selling the training for the software. Right. Whole other arm of services. So then the
1: trick yeah. became to get the government to ad, uh, acknowledge the software. Acknowledge the certification. So once that, that, that was done, it was, was a slam dunk. Took the awesome. software to Australia, um, started operations there. We dabbled a little bit in in some of the um, Papua New Guinea and some of the different different places, trying to get some forestry going there. It was tough.
2: Now, with the, with the software, did you did you build the software because it was an issue you and your business partners at the time were experiencing in the forestry in- industry? Like, were you? One thing you hear often with entrepreneurs that build, whether it's softwares or services or some sort of invention, it's they're scratching their own itch. It's, it's an issue or a problem that they were experiencing in the uh, professional landscape, and they wanted to solve it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty sly of you. That's exactly what it was. It was we were, um, the software came into play when we were trying to bid on harvesting a, a certain cut block. So if it had some teeth, You know, the the better, the more effective we could be with our harvesting equipment, the more margins we'd make right? and more competitive we could be. So we built this software tool and then eventually it got working really well and we're like, hey. So now on the on the software side,
2: were you um, were you paying developers or did you have a developer partner? Like what were the roles of the other guys? You said you started it with two other guys. I'm always curious on like who was whom in the, in the business. Cause obviously it's very clear, like in Sproing, for example, who does what and who plays what role and you're right. all very different, but you work together very well. I want to hear a little bit more about your we, first experience with
1: that. We, in that particular case, the two partners, one was Zane Cleaver. Yep. He was a forester like myself, but from New Zealand and um, he had a lot of local knowledge. He brought that part. Um, the other partner was Andrew Chalmers, which was an interesting guy, um, great guy. He was a—I forget what position he was, but he played for Australia uh, rugby. He was a professional rugby. Oh, cool. Okay. So um, he was retired at the time, but he brought capital as well as um, some experience through his career at, at being an executive and board governance and that kind of stuff. But not in the same field. Not in the same field. Okay, interesting.
0: I have a a question that kind of brings it back to, um, so you're in this kind of hybrid program between uh, civil engineering and forestry. Mm -hmm. Was that, so was that a program that was already developed and, or did you see, Forestry going hand in hand with civil engineering—something that you know—I can combine these two forces into a business that will work for me, or like, did was it just something that was already there that you were like, "Oh, okay, mm-hmm. well, this just this makes sense" because the infrastructure is already there.
1: the The forest engineering program at UNB had been in place for quite a while. It's got, right. quite a history. Okay, um, it it is a hybrid of. Of an engineering and a forestry program, but it was, there at one time there was a program similar to that at UBC as well. Okay, but I forget what year, but they dropped that program. So, why do
0: you think they dropped that program? Is it just?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I think forestry uh, has gone through a few cycles in BC. Right. Yeah. Um, related to the tenure, how it works, um, how steep steep ground forestry works, logging works, and, and I think um, part of it had to do with that. They, there wasn't enough demand for engineers for a while. And then as, as the industry realized that to protect the environment, sometimes you need to b- build roads smarter, right? be careful, and look at other pieces except for not just the forestry. Yeah. Right, so that's where the engineers came in.
0: And where, what did you look like as uh, you know, elementary school, high school? Like, what did that look uh, like for you? What kind of student I definitely wasn't an and... a
1: I definitely wasn't a scholar. I was, you know, my priorities were hockey, fishing, yeah. uh, girlfriends. School, maybe in that order. But were the straight A student? And... No, I wasn't straight A student. And actually, going back to uh, high school after I graduated as an engineer, um, a lot of my teachers at the time were pretty surprised.
0: <laughs> Man, yeah, it's true. It's true. And I think that type of uh, whether you call it um, sort of a, a lingering creativity or just you know, divergent thinking. It's amazing how often we hear it just on our show, but just in general, like entrepreneurs are not often born out of the straight A student, you know, the the ones that are trying to get not just, you know, principles list or, you know, advanced placement, but the top end of the advanced placement and all of that stuff. But we hear that yeah. all the time.
1: I think I was your, you know, C plus, B minus kind of a student. Okay. Yeah. But um, did that... Uh, I hope my daughter's not listening, did that without a whole lot of homework, right? Right. Yeah, fair enough. So they did what I needed to do to get through and...
2: Well, it works out because, I mean, one of Robert Kiyosaki's favorite sayings is uh, A students work for C students and B students work for the government. (laughs) There you go. You being a C student, you've got probably A students working for you now and you even had some B's in there too and you worked for the government. Look Mm, at that. Look at that. Um, Now... With that, because you did mention you noticed kind of like your entrepreneurial roots in your New Zealand job, and then obviously when you started the software uh, company in New Zealand with those business partners, did you ever have any other, or like in that high school, in that elementary school time, did you ever have any other entrepreneurial?
1: Oh gosh, like, I grew up with with all kinds of entrepreneurial ideas. Talk I to think. us a little
2: bit about that. I'm always curious about like what were your what were your first little hustles? Were yeah, a couple couple lawnmower? fun
1: stories. So, I think I was. Um, I don't know, maybe 10 years old, or yeah. and I got on to this. Uh, it was from a ma- uh, hunting and fishing magazine, and there was a thing about there how you could test fishing lures. So I got on to this idea, and I wrote some of the tackle company's letters. as a little kid, you know, hand-wrote, hand and offered to test their lures if they sent me lures. So sure enough, Rapala actually sent me lures. So I got to go fishing with all these new lures and, nice. and I'd take a picture back then. Like if I caught a fish, I'd take a picture and I'd send it to them. And, and I tried that with another company in Meps, and I got lures from that. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And and then, so next Tell thing me you know. you sold the lures. This, what's that? Tell me you sold the lures yeah, so after then I you sold, got them for free. Awesome. Yeah, I sold <laughs> lures to my friends. And, I love it. Yeah, I had this I little it. thing going. <laughs> and then I did the, um, I did the collect the golf balls thing oh, in the yeah. golf course. Oh, to like the the water and everything. Yeah, like that, I'd find the that's balls, a common one. Yeah, and I like then I clean one. them, and then I set up a little. um oh, I, I love that! I set up, up a one. little table at the entrance to the golf course and sold people their golf balls back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you lost this one! I found yeah. it. So I, I did quite a few. Now, with ones. with the with the finding the
2: golf balls, talk to me about some of the like weird shit that you would do to actually find the golf balls. i, I there's got to be something. There's got to be there something was, in there.
1: Yeah, I think most of them wa- were related to. There was this one fairway that yeah. that always sucked the balls in, and then I would just kind of hide there in the spot and <laughs> while watch, they were golfing, I'd watch people walk around, <laughs> look for their balls, and I could see it right there. Right? So oh
0: I, man, so I'd wait for them to. Hey man, that's the margins you work with when you're young. <laughs> I, I, I love that so <laughs> yes. much. That's just yeah, the that that that's awesome. just the raw that's
2: just the
1: raw story. I yeah. Love it. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, that was pretty young when I was doing that stuff. Yep.
2: But, Any, uh, anything as you kind of transitioned into high school, like selling to, or. Um,
1: I got into at one point in university, I got into, uh, with a, um, a network marketing opportunity, Amway. Oh, you got and, into the Amway yeah, too, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was a recommendation from an accountant's bookkeeper. And oh, so. Interesting. The whole idea of trying to write off some of my, uh, university expenses. Sounded great, didn't it? Yeah, how'd yep. that work out for you? Not so well. <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of need revenue to write stuff off against. So I learned. Yeah. So yeah, you can only give your friends so many granola bars before they. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I've I've actually I've been approached by Amway as well. I didn't uh, I didn't end up signing up, but it some of the books they gave me led me to uh, led me to some other authors that I was mm. uh, starting to follow. But yeah, it's a. It's, it's quite the it's quite the company hey? I mean they're huge now. they've even got stadiums yeah
1: well so you know MLMs have a lot of value there's they they're a distribution model to get products to the market yeah for certain individuals in the right time in the right place it's uh, it's been amazing yeah.
2: and yeah. it's it, that is true. I know I know people that have done really well for themselves in uh, in network marketing it's just a lot of the times the, the big issue that I have with it is the math just doesn't work a lot of the time.
1: Yeah,
0: the well, ma- yeah, the it's math susceptible to a lot of really <clears throat> shady shit too. It's it,
2: the math just doesn't work if you have that many people above you, and then there's only so. Like I remember running the before I joined Amway, I remember running the numbers on how many people are actually in Amway, and then the percentages that of kickbacks and everything, and how much of a percentage of people are actually like making a living off of it. Mm. And I remember running the numbers and uh, seeing that I. I I don't want to like spitball random numbers, but I think it was if everyone on the planet joined Amway on their ratios and everything like that, it would take everyone on the planet that lived on the planet at that time and potentially a little bit more for me to make a living off it. That was the that was kind of like the map behind it. When I looked at that, I was like, hmm, "What are the chances I can get that many people actually yeah. like involved in it?" So no, I, I agree with you. I think there there's value. I mean, people Robert Kiyosaki, one of the guys, he talks about. Um, he he's a supporter of uh, network marketing for sure, and he talks about how it actually helps with building skills like selling and things hmm. um, for people to learn for sure. how to sell. It, it it does. It really does. It gets you out of your comfort zone, um, but I mean. You can always play devil's advocate in anything, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, i you know, my, my, uh, not to dwell on the network marketing thing, but the, the, my opinion is always that you, um, you know, if, if you work at something and you're passionate about it, you can make it work. Yeah. And I, I
0: struggle sometimes with, with selling someone a dream. And that I, yeah. I, I couldn't
1: I couldn't agree more. Because it's
0: not just about a product. No, it is. At that point, it's about becoming the entrepreneur, so to speak, right?
1: Uh, yeah, a lot of the network marketing um, sales pitches are about come create your own lifestyle. And,
0: exactly, and that, and, that, and yeah. uh, which I
1: get, but it's sometimes for some people, based on th- whether it's their current situation, their ability, the cash flow, whatever it is um, it's selling them a dream.
2: No. And I, and I think you, I think you hit it right on the head. It's, it's a, I mean, it, it definitely obviously is a controversial topic. My biggest, my biggest issue I have is cause like I said, I do know a lot of people, um, that have done well in network marketing and I've been, p- and some of them, like I consider them, you know, fairly, fairly strong acquaintances. Like I, I meet with them every now and then still my biggest issue is once I get pitched by somebody like that, if they still want to remain friends with me, I wonder if it's they're actually like interested in being friends with me or if part of them is still hoping that they're going to be able to get me somewhere down the relationship and that's that's something that i can never shake and and i mean one of the first things they tell you in any one of these network marketing companies is go to your family and friends and it's just scary at that point because a lot of the times you burn all those bridges after that well that's terrifying to me.
0: (laughs) the funny thing with that too is that that's not even central to network marketing which i don't know kind of segues well into a next part of your life and i might be going a little too fast but real estate can be like that too <laughs> where certain realtors only you know they want to grow their database and it's this sort of disingenuous attempt to get as many people as they can into the funnel you know is this person really following up with me because they care about me or or is it just you know, so that They're I'll thing that about, I'll sell my yeah. house
2: or that I'll buy a house. I think,
0: then, I think yeah. that's not. That's a good point. I don't know. It's kind of well, like, what, what are your thoughts word, on that? the
1: authentic word comes into play, right? So yes. you're, you're always, um, unfortunately, we're pretty judgmental uh, society nowadays. So you're always, you know, um, this guy's my friend um, or Izzy. Right, you're wondering, doubtful. Yeah, I think you're you're segueing into the real estate side of my my background. But um, yeah, I think you. It's definitely a challenge. You get approached by people. I still have some very good friends in network marketing who are financially doing a lot better than I am. Right. Yeah. They've been successful. They they just it just worked really well for them. And I do know some people who have, who have given up good jobs to get into network marketing and it hadn't worked, didn't work. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. A, yeah,
0: So why don't you kind of tell us how, you know, did I jump too far ahead there? Like you yeah. went from the software company and then, you know, where was that exit into, yeah. into real estate? How does, tell so us the, about that timeline.
1: The idea was, um, once we got the software up and running in New Zealand, Australia, um, because BC, and particularly the West Coast of North America, down into the US, Oregon, have a lot of forestry with steep terrain Right. that's right in the wheelhouse of the software we developed. So, we decided to take the software to North America. So, that was my, um, my opportunity to come back to Canada. Nice. And at the time, I had... Um, yeah, a wife and a young child. She was a year old. She hadn't met her grandparents yet.
2: Are they from New Zealand as well?
1: No, they were actually from here. Uh, my wife yeah. was um, girlfriend at the time. She went with me to New Zealand. Oh, I see. On okay. the adventure, we got married at, That's in awesome. Auckland. Interesting. And then we had a little daughter, Leah, born in New Zealand. She's a Kiwi. Yeah, nice. dual citizenship. Yeah. That's so awesome. uh, cool. I had a daughter there, cool. and then but this. This uh, bringing, the software is called Cyan's Cable Yarding Analysis New Zealand. Um, Okay, say that one more time. Cyan's. Cyan's. C-Y-A-N-Z. I think now it's, uh, that software is owned by a company called Softree out of uh, the Oregon. Gotcha. So, um, we uh, decided to take the software in North America, brought it here and started um, sales. And how many employees at this time? Or was it still just the three of you? Um, in Well, in New Zealand, the harvest planning, New Zealand, the whole company grew from about 25 to about 150 employees. You wow. had
2: 150 employees, eh?
1: In three or four years. Oh, wow. Just opened Great. different operations and some of them were part-time depending on the forest industry and how much logging we had going on. And, yeah. So the software, so I hit the road and was presenting the software to the University of Oregon and all over the place and <clears throat> eventually made some headway, um, got the software implemented as a training tool in some of the universities in the States. Um, then at one sta- one stage, um, really struggled to get it embedded in, in Canada or in BC. Um, Likely due to the, I won't get into too much detail, but the appraisal system and the way the land here is owned by the government. government, the tenure system, the way stumpage works, all of that stuff got complicated. So it got uh, political. Yeah. Huh. So <clears throat> right around that time, um, I decided I didn't want to be on the road selling software anymore. This is where my entrepreneurial piece comes in, and I want to do something different. Um, My dad was helping a local realtor look after some properties. So I started helping him with property management. And I said, you know what, Dad? You're supposed to be licensed to be doing this. Uh. (laughs) Right? So as you know, Shelby, collecting rent for someone else. It requires a license, yeah. <laughs> so I went got my property management license, then my real estate license, because now I was meeting people who had properties and eventually they didn't want to sell them, and then um, typical real fashion my brokerage license, and then within four years of being in the industry, I was an owner broker of a McDonald Realty franchise here in town, here in Vernon.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Is so I did that. that w- is that still, sorry to interrupt, is that still a, like a no, brokerage today?
1: No. McDonald's, no. Uh, 2008 was it, I think. Right when the real estate, everything it dropped. It folded or it got bought out? I I decided to leave McDonald Realty oh, and okay. I went and I was the managing broker for Century 21 here in town for a little bit.
2: Okay. Okay. Were did you d- Did that for a couple of years? You were owning the McDonald's.
1: Yeah, I was owner-broker. So Um, did you sell it at the time? There's two partners. Um, No, no. So you still owned shares when you left and managed Century 21? Yeah, I walked away from those shares. You walked away, okay. Yeah, in that particular case. And then um, uh, was the managing broker. I wasn't a partner or anything at Century 21. I was just managing broker, did some real estate, did some property management, and uh, then saw the opportunity to move from that industry to really what happened was uh, the market was was dropping in real estate and it was tough and uh, it was it was time like my wage wasn't covered by the brokerage anymore so it was time to make a move and uh, when i decided to move some really good friends um, at the time as a broker in the real estate you tend to coach and mentor the new realtors so I, I got working with a few realtors, and when I left, um, they said, you know, Rail, if you started a coaching business, I would hire you to help me mentor them in their business, their real estate business. So that's what started um, my next adventure, which was for, to be a re- real estate, at the time real estate coach, but also a business coach. Business coach, yeah. And, uh, it was,
2: what year was this? Oh, uh,
1: when was the recession? 2008? Yeah. 08, 09. Yep. 08, 09. So that was pretty ballsy to jump. It was, cause I was gonna, I was gonna ask you like, yeah. what was it like during the,
2: the crash in Vernon? Cause that, you were in real estate at the time. Yeah. I was in when real did you start estate, to so
1: in effect, in essence, me leaving century 21 was triggered by that crash, the crash. Yeah. Because now the owner at the time. Um, needed to be his own broker, couldn't afford to have have a manager, pay a broker. Um, So off I go and uh, yeah, it was. Starting a business during a crash can't be easy though. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, But you know, this is probably, it was probably, it was a big moment in my career because I sat back and I looked at, I looked at New Zealand, I looked at Australia, I looked at everything I had been doing and and I think all of the different pieces along the way, what I was actually chasing was my true passion, which was business strategy, coaching, entrepreneurship. So in essence, this coaching business I was starting was actually chasing my true passion because now I get to do what I love doing with clients every single day. right? And then right around that same time was where I met... Heath and Clint, so who are my partners now at Spring? So Heath at the time was um, the had, – had started – well, actually, he had been in photography for quite some time. And he had a business called Red Door Photography. And he was working with Clint Ingham who had a, a web development company called Ingenius. They were merging and forming Spring Creative. I was their coach.
0: Gotcha. That's how that started. Yeah.
1: So they were, them, I, I should mention a few, the room collection, great gals, um, Darcy Salkin, realtor in town. They were some of my first, um, Shell Duggan were some of my first clients back, um, Judy Dangle at Enderby Jewelers, some of my first clients and, um, that caught me kind of going. And then. What happened with with Heath and Clint, we started sharing clients, referring clients to each other. So when Heath got someone in talking to him about the website, all I had to say is, Heath, asked them why they want a website. Why do you want that website? Why do you want to spend $3,000, $5,000? And usually they can't answer hmm. because they need strategy. <clears throat> That's where you came in. Right. So they started referring me clients. And then when I was working on strategy, we finally get the strategy together. Now you need to market. So then I would re- I would send the clients back to Heath and Clint. So when did what year did they create Spring? So they I think it was twenty eleven?
2: Twenty eleven? Something like that. And then twenty. So at this time Sprung is just Sprung is the marketing agency. Spring so is so just keep... Sprung. Sprung is just sprung. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The puns we had that one day yeah, with those. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, sprung is just sprung. Well, I can't believe I said that with the same face. <laughs> um, and you are kind of operating almost like a subcontractor for them in, in a way, or, or just a contractor in yep. general because you're not – directly involved? You're kind of just the strategy side that they're yeah. outsourcing
1: to? So at that time, I was just, I was their business consultant, yep. coach, and then they were just referring clients to me and, and what I did with those clients was completely separate.
2: And then what year was it where you guys finally realized, wait a second, why don't we just put your hands together?
1: Around 2014, so a couple of years into so, that relationship. Really? Wow. Um, we got to know each other and, and I started talking to them about, about strategy and, and how there is something that we had going that was really working. Our clients were succeeding. Um, it was really starting to, to work and I we're on to something and then it was a matter of, of us working through. working. We spent about a year talking about it and, and talking about what it might look like if I joined as a partner and then, uh, I think January, 2015 was, was my <clears throat> official launch as a partner in Sprung Creative.
2: Officially when you sprung into Sprung. When I
1: sprung whatever. Yeah. <laughs> when I... So, um, yeah, it was really good. It was, um, it was really, um, Realizing that uh, I could do what I love doing, which is that entrepreneurial strategy, and then have a team that I'm working with that could implement the strategy,
2: and that's really that's really springs, I guess market advantage right now is the strategy component with the, with the marketing, the, the blend of what you guys have put together now and, and why you're so successful
1: with your clients? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple things. I think there's a lot of really good creative agencies out there who, who are good at developing brand strategy and, and marketing strategy. When I'm talking strategy, I'm like, we can work with a client from visioning for their business, all the way through to a technical business plan to get them so to the raise next capital, yeah. um, then to marketing. So it's a level of strategy um, that comes before marketing that I think is is the differentiator there.
0: So you're asking you need- some of the bigger questions before you start to tackle those other, you know, smaller, you know, quote unquote, smaller issues. You're yeah. trying to get to the, the real beef of what's going on first?
1: Yeah, because marketing is, marketing, from my opinion, what I've seen really work is figure out what you're great at, figure out how you're different from your competitors, figure out who you want to attract to your business, and then tell them. Whether it's through a podcast, right, or a website or digital marketing or social media, whatever platform you're using to communicate to them is, you're just communicating what you're great at. Tell your story. Yeah, and, and how you can, what their pain point is, and bridge the gap. So, the strategy piece is figuring out their point, pain point, not. So, clients often come to a creative agency and they say, We need to grow or we need more revenue. Why? <laughs> you know, f- for what or right? Where's your pain point? and then building
0: the strategy cuz those yeah. are obvious you know very very common obvious things it's like we need more revenue but how do you actually like break it down
2: i think i think a lot of the times it's like the management of the revenue that you're already making too cuz some people may not some people say they need more revenue and when they get it the problems are just the same right
1: yeah or it could be that you know it sounds a bit cliche you're you're treating the symptom yeah. So maybe the reason they need more revenue is their costs are out of control.
2: Yep. Exactly. And then once you get more revenue, your costs are still out of control. It's just now you're doing more revenue.
1: <laughs> you're just more out of control. Yeah. You're
2: more out of control. Exactly. Um, I
1: mean... yeah. It it you know it's very not uncommon to have clients. Um, you know, we're talking about different marketing tools and realize that it's because they're spread too thin. Maybe they're marketing too many products. Maybe they got. Many SKUs in their store. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're... One thing I know this a lot um, because I am one is is entrepreneurs tend to have a lot of shiny objects and, and want to chase the different opportunities. The girl in the red cocktail dress.
2: <laughs> yeah. So tom-
1: sometimes it's just a matter of saying, well, th- that's a great opportunity, but remember, our priority we agreed to is this, right? so just reeling reeling them in or refocusing their energy can't
2: have your ass on multiple toilets <laughs>
0: you could say sure. that i guess yeah. sure. <laughs> well it's it's really it, when you have the mind for opportunity it becomes sort of the grass is greener thing going on where you know there's there's always something to do, and if you do have an eye for marketing and an eye for business and, you know, you can see these opportunities and figure out how to monetize those opportunities, I think it it be this world is really it's easy to do that. Mm -hmm. So why don't you like walk us through some of the strategies that you can implement to kind of refocus things like you've, you've probably run into plenty of people where you know, there's, they've got ten different things going on, and it's sort of that jack of all trades is a master of none. Well, if they're they're spending, you know, x amount of time their energy on ten things, can they hone that into four or three, and and really, you know, hit it out of the park from there? Probably, and this
1: this would come from my engineering background, is uh, helping our clients rate right at the onset. Uh, create a financial model or, or a budget that is flexible enough you can bring in the opportunity but analyze whether it's a financially a good opportunity. So s- stop being reactive and step back and be strategic about your decisions. So even with small businesses, doesn't mean you need a big, thick business plan on your desk. It just means you need to spend some time once a day, twice a week, whatever works for you to look at your numbers, understand your numbers, understand that there's decisions you make every single day as an entrepreneur, as a business owner that affect your numbers and you can make a decision to chase a shiny object or you, that day, or you can make a decision to focus on revenue-generating activity for your business or managing your expenses or helping train and develop your team, right? So it's about having a way of, for me, linking decisions you make every day to your financials. That's the heartbeat of your business, right? Yes, we're in business for personal fulfillment and to enjoy our, our life style but I know from experience and from all the clients that we see if you don't keep an eye on the bottom line at some stage you're gonna be there on a treadmill saying I'm working my butt off and I'm not making money because you're you're not that's that's the ultimate metric isn't it when you own a business you own a business David right at some stage it's great provide a great customer service, help people out but, and
2: I and it just I, I couldn't agree more. I think it just depends on your goals as well like do you are you looking like you said do you want to make more money? do you want to grow your business? are you happy where you are and you maybe just need to cut expenses because you're the other reality is is it are you too big right so no I, I couldn't agree more but if you if you don't keep an eye on the on the numbers then because for example, like my goal right now, and you can probably relate to this as well, is not necessarily how much am I taking home, but how much can I actually take from the business and put back into the business? Uh, How much capital is left that I can reinvest into other opportunities, whether it's tech opportunities or uh, future locations, uh, another employee, whatever it is, right? So those are things I think about a lot as well.
1: Of course, there's the, the, you know, you need to have a vision of what you're trying to create in the first place. And I guess that's where we would start with a client, is what is your vision, what are your goals?
2: Do you find that's where most people get confused though, is like, because when, when I talk to people as well, like you said, my first question is always, when things come up like, oh, I need a website or something like, like why? Mm-hmm. What what do you want? And because a lot of people can't really break that down. And it's it's kind of scary to think about that they're they're kind of like driving blind like that, not knowing what do I actually want? <laughs>
1: yeah and you know, to be honest, it's not just entrepreneurs and startup no, businesses. Whatever. I've had conversations with businesses who have been around for 20 years and don't have a vision and look at their numbers once a year when their accountant tells them you're not making enough money. And um, it's because some of the skills you need as as a um, a successful business person. Don't always align with the skills entrepreneurs bring, you know the energy, the passion, and I think if you can marry the two, and I believe that's where we come in, is um, the strategy team here at Spring will come in and we'll take an entrepreneur with a great business idea or an existing business and help them just step back.
2: I'm gonna breathe. You, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to throw you. Sorry to interrupt there. I want to throw you a left field question just on that topic. How much of entrepreneurship and business building in general do you think is talent versus hard work? Hmm. Like, where does where does talent play into this? Because is it how how do you how do you see that? Can you can you have somebody that's working working their ass off every single day, but maybe they don't have the chops, maybe they don't have the talent to actually get to that next level? Or somebody talented who maybe is just not working enough like where's that balance how how big of a role does talent play
1: I think work ethic is probably 90 percent of it Trump say yeah um I would be I would be a classic example because you look at spring and where we're at now and the team we have I have no idea how to build a website I don't have that
2: talent, but entrepreneurial talent. I mean, oh, like talent as a business person. I don't mean necessarily talent in your skill. That's that's one so thing. So, like or a business owner, even exactly. Or, right. How are you talented? Because clearly, you're an operator. It's been clear from from your software company. It's clear in, in Sproying and everything. Now you're you're the kind of guy that keeps an eye on the overview and everything. So that to me is you're a talented business operator. Right. So do you? How much do you think that? talent as a business operator actually is involved when people are trying to build their businesses as opposed to the skill or their trade at the time, whether it's like you said, a developer or whatever it is. Yeah.
1: I guess what I was getting at with the comment about I'm not a web developer is that, um, if you have a great idea and you're willing to work, you can always bring in people with the different skills you need. Surround yourself. Yeah. You surround yourself with that winning team, right? So. It's way – for me as a business coach and consultant, what we do now, um, the clients I love are the ones who just work, like who who show up every day. Even though they're working on their own business at home, they they have a shower in the morning and work and treat it like a job and and collaborate as opposed to – you don't necessarily need to be an engineer or be great with spreadsheets to do budgets. To have a successful business, what you need to be great at is hard work, and and surrounding yourself with people that that support your business.
0: Just part of what you do go into the uh, the everyday part of like delegation and things like that. Do you give technical strategy like that? You see a, a business, um, you know, spending money on. Um, Well, you know, for example, in, in, in sproying, I'm sure a lot of the roles here, people have talents in the other roles, but is it really worth their time to work on role Y when they're so good at role X? And then that's why you have this other person. Um, do you see that a lot in other businesses and are you the one to really say, Hey, I think this is an inefficiency that we need to fix.
1: I've often worked with businesses who um, the entrepreneur, the person who came, the founder, if you will, um, say was a really good technician. And because they were a really good technician, whether it's it's uh, electrical, you know, electrician or whatever, because they were good, they they grew. Next thing you know, they added a techie, they added the apprentice or something, and then next thing you know, they got a business but they, they're not business people. They're not business people. Yeah. Right, right. So and and because of that, the that's usually I call it the 911 call. That's usually at some stage those um people are in over their head. They realize that they're stressed out. They're working way too many hours for what they get out at the end of the year when their accountant says you, know, you This is what's left. <laughs> this is what's left, or unfortunately, right, there isn't any left. And then often what I'll do in those situations is, is uh, remind them of uh, my father's past now, but he used to say, do what you do best. And sometimes that amazing technician is even more happier just being, say, a senior tech training his team and hiring someone to manage operations for them, so and I build mean, that winning team around you, right? And I mean, you see things
2: as as the st- strategist, 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 strategist. Um, you see things as the strategist from an outside view, which can be so helpful at a lot of in a lot of cases in a lot of people's businesses. On that note, you did mention, obviously, this, this electrician feels like he's in over his head. He's stressed out. Have you ever had the experience? Uh, where you've actually had to have that difficult conversation with somebody who maybe doesn't see it. So, for example, they're, they are in over their head, but they don't realize that they're not business people. Have you ever had to say that? Like, hey, look, you don't have the chops as a business... You're a great electrician, but you don't have the chops as a business person. You need to bring in a business partner if you want to actually make this more successful.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe it's not a business partner, but I, I'm probably... Once a month, twice a month. Really, hey, Wow. Yeah. Um, You have those conversations with business owners and the conversation is typically something like, like, um, uh, you know what, we need John John or Fred or whoever. We need to focus your business on this piece right now. And, well, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Well, we either need to free you up Mm. so you can... Or we need to hire someone who can. Well, I can't afford someone to hire. You can't afford, Fred, not to hire someone.
0: Right. I want to go even deeper than that too. So when you're dealing with with these uh, types of characters where, you know, they're they're the technician, not the business person, um, I want to go deeper into like how the ego affects that. So how much of it is that they're just a little bit, you know for lack of better terms and not in a negative sense but they're ignorant to what they don't know on the business side how much of it is that verse and versus an ego of i know that i'm not right for this perhaps i don't know how but i know that like this problem exists but i'm too stubborn to hire anybody else or i don't trust anybody else or you know do you deal with those kind of dynamics on we, an active basis
1: yeah we have the term i like to use is not non-coachable there are, at certain stages of the conversation, some people just aren't, aren't willing to, you know, if you really talk about what makes a successful business person an entrepreneur, is their ability to understand their strengths and their weaknesses themselves. Self-awareness, right? Being 100%. self-aware and understanding that, you know what, the reason the business is struggling is because I'm actually not good at hiring. I, I'm just terrible at it or... I'm not good at prioritizing. I like to chase shiny objects or whatever, right, whatever it is. Um, if, if you can't wrap your head around if – you, if you don't wrap your head around your own weaknesses, then they fall into the not coachable, right? right? All I can do as a business consultant or a coach is, is make recommendations, try to understand the business, use my experience with other clients – um, and and just some of the training I've had over the years to make recommendations. At some stage, they have to implement, and they have to be willing to implement.
2: What is your What is your idea Based on that, obviously, what is your ideal uh, customer that come that would come through that you would be? I mean, obviously, you like what you do, so you want to work with everyone. But what's the ideal customer? Is it that? so far that it's 911 like holy shit like I really need help right now like things are not going well or is it the you know things are actually going pretty well I'm just looking for a few recommendations here and there somewhere in the middle like what what's the ideal situation for a client to come in?
1: I think the ideal situation is um, a client company coming here to sprying um, open to collaborating so wanting someone to be on their winning team. And then open to, if not really understanding what their weaknesses are, open to that conversation and, and going down the journey of figuring out what we can do to help them. So there's this degree of openness, right? If they come here with their arms crossed and they're here because um, someone referred them to me um, as someone who could help in their business, but every time you t- you ask them a question or suggest something, they've got all the objectives, all the objections already resolved in their mm. mind, then they're not open. So for me, the ideal would be it doesn't matter what position your business is in. If you're looking to make the next step and grow or you're in survival mode, if you come here just, you know what? Leave, willing to work. Leave, Coming back to what you're saying, Shelby, leave the ego at the door. Well, there's no judgment. We're here to help and let's just get down to – let's roll up our sleeves and get down to it. What what are the touch points? What are the pain points? And let's systematically just pick away at it. So openness and I guess willing to work, right? And yeah.
0: how how has your, your own ego played into perhaps your – say your coaching from when you were on the real estate side and you're kind of – uh, coming out of McDonald realty and, and, um, I guess out of century 21 as well. And you've got your few contacts that you've got. And now like, you've got a completely different database that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you had to both elevate your, your game and your skills and also harnessing your own ego? Have you ever had struggles there? You know, what have you learned about yourself through the process? What kind of transitions have you had to make?
1: Probably the biggest transition for me is to understand that sometimes my systematic approach and, and the way I, I view my work um, it doesn't really work necessarily for everybody. So, so I'll give you an example. So doing a, I do a lot of facilitation of strategic planning for companies. And I used to do the old adage, you you do this three-year strategic plan with a vision and a mission statement, and it was a binder, and it would go on the shelf. And, and <laughs> then I'd do this strategic, yeah. Then I do the strategic implementation plan, and that would have the next twelve months planned out to the week. Right? This person's going to do this, and this person's going to that. I've realized that that is just not realistic. Um, And it's probably a piece of it is a little bit of a a shot, like not everybody, um, like I'm just so analytical sometimes that not everybody is like that. So in fact, some of the people I had been working with and coaching with for a while... We were spinning, we weren't making progress and, and I think we're it just was butting heads it, or it, not butting not heads, but yeah, way, it but just it, wasn't working. We weren't gaining. It was right. always these meetings where they didn't have their homework done or they didn't have their pieces done. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't do the next thing. But what I realized it was actually me I what I was doing is putting too much structure into into their lives, right? And, and so it was a bit of a shot that way. Like I had to realize that, oh, wait a minute. Rails way isn't everybody's way. So now much better at adjusting for small businesses versus medium versus large. And adapting to um, your client. And, and adapting to the client and to their personality too. Um, like I was saying, I'm, I'm very happy with a client, whether they're a new startup, if they just work and they're passionate and and they're doing
0: their best um and they're coachable and they're coachable because that's what they came to you for you know more or less whether it came as a referral or not i mean yeah the head scratcher
1: for me is when someone comes comes to us and they're looking for help with their business but they're completely closed like they're not coachable and i'm like well why 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 did you even call or was someone pressuring you the call?
2: Interesting. Yeah, some... it's, it's always interesting to hear the story behind that, right? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: There's some like deep psychological stuff I think that happens there, you know, stuff that that roots farther back than just their their business where people just can't let go. It's almost as thing as their baby. And it's like this fear of, of letting go. Um, I mean, I've seen it in real estate more than enough times to know that, it's really hard when you've built up a database and you've built up and, I, and this is like any business, but I'm sure David, you've felt this before in same with yourself, when you've got your way and you've got your people, it, it can be really hard to kind of like let go a little bit and understand that like, hey, I, you know, I do need relations with my wife, um, I need to have, you know, somewhat of a social circle. And I, you know, I you, you, you don't just have the work pillar. There's other pillars that have to take on, I think, for some people, the work side, it just... It grips them somehow, and it's so hard to just let Mm. go a little bit and trust. Trust is hard. I think trust is hard for people.
1: Um, Yeah, another learning I've had along the way um, has been more about – because I work with such a variety of businesses from retail jewelry stores to um, corporate – um, construction businesses or whatever they are, all kinds of different businesses, is realizing that they bring a certain expertise to the table. And just because I've worked with a retail clothing store doesn't mean I know everything about retail jewelry. So I need to be open as well to um, to learning. And probably what I the part about my job I like the most is I learn every day. Three, four different kinds of
0: businesses a day
1: that you meet with sometimes, right?
0: Well, you're open to hearing there. and There, I'm sure that's integral to helping them too. Is your ability to take in what they need, apply as, yeah. your skills as you get more experience,
1: then yeah,
0: you you can relate different
1: scenarios and say, "Oh, well, let's try this."
2: No, and I think I think that's the entrepreneur in you too, though, because that was, um, that's one of the most interesting things about being an entrepreneur is the market, um. Your specific business, um, your field, whatever it is, is constantly, constantly, deba- like, holy smokes, I lost the word. It's constantly adapting, adapting, Adapt. adapting and changing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, has, to be, has to be. I like to use the word nimble. Yeah. yeah. Businesses. And, and Maybe that's why well. I don't do, do the big strategic plans anymore. I think a vision and a mission is very important for a business.
2: Oh, a macro goal, but to actually plan everything week to week is nearly near impossible. I mean, I can barely, I mean, I can barely plan like what, what comes in the next like month, let alone play by play for the next year. Like, it's just, like I said, it it constantly it's adapting and things are being thrown at you that you never would have thought would be thrown at you and you have to figure out how to deal with them. And like you said, the biggest part of that is the learnings that you come out with them and and how you can actually mold with what is thrown at you, right?
1: Yeah. So what we try to do is is set up the structure so that they can be nimble in their business and still make decisions, but they'll understand the implications of those decisions on their bottom line. Mm -hmm. And they'll also understand the implication of the Decisions on their big picture vision. So, a very common example is so you do visioning, and a p- partner or an owner will say, Well, I need, I want a better work life balance. That's one of their goals. Then, when you have the same conversation about them, what's your vision for your business? Well, we want to grow, we want to be, we want to have a business in. In uh, cantaloupes, we want to open another store. We want to do this. We want to do that, and we're and then I'm like going, well, wait a minute, I thought you said you want to work life balance. So that means <laughs> if you want to grow, then you better build a team, right? Oh, I can't afford to hire someone uh, well your 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 goals are out of alignment
2: how important how important is because I've had this conversation with a lot of business owners, and I find that it, it, it obviously there's exceptions to every rule, but how important is it to have the owner of the business actually be the operator? How dangerous is it? And I mean, look, it's, it's, it's completely different. I understand like higher around you and higher around, but the lead decision maker, I mean the, the person at the very top who has the last say, how important is it for them to be active in the business? Active in the business
1: or have skin in the game?
2: active skin in the game, meaning equity or what are you talking? Well, they're going to obviously have equity if they're the number one dog, the owner. I mean, how important is it for, you know, the top dog, the owner to potentially also be the COO or at least like a high level decision maker that is in the trenches, constantly knows how things are adapting and how things are working to be able to make the best decisions.
1: I think it's, um, I think it's valuable for that person to have come through that process, so they they understand their business, you know, as opposed to an angel investor who's really just looking at the numbers. I have a client in Kelowna right now that's kind of in that situation. They have an angel investor who's just looking at the numbers and and not really supporting. Because how can they
2: know? How can they know what's actually going on?
1: Right. So, so from that that would be the extreme where i think it's it would be you, you know if you have an angel investor hopefully it's someone who's invested enough that they 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 bring value to operations they have experience whether it's in a, a similar industry or relevant in this business or something um, but i think that if you're an owner so at at, at sprawing at some stage I'm hoping that I'll be able to have oh, such an amazing team. We have such an amazing team that I'll be able to step back and maybe look at the next venture for us and still right. have but still have have and maintain your
2: equity. Yeah. Um, and how how passive do you see that role being though? Do you still see it as you either come in as a, a mentor for those people that have quote unquote replaced you so that you can move on and and expand other ventures? Or do you see yourself still as like they come to you with things and
1: and you make the decision? Um, my vision is to have a team more than capable doing to the- to run run spring. It's that hit by the bus kind of plan, right? I think it's important as an entrepreneur to to build that, and your as your business grows. Obviously, if you're your two person business, that's hard to do. It's not real really realistic, but if you're growing your business. Um, particularly someone like, like myself, I'm all about growing business and I'm all about um, providing opportunity. Like when, why do you grow a business? So you can grow the business financially, of course. You want bring in more revenue. Hopefully there's more shares for the, the dividends for the shareholders, etc. But you also grow a business because it provides opportunity. It gives you the ability to be nimble right if you're if you're just installing if you're installing decks all the time it's hard to break away from that if you're two person business to go now build say a house from from the foundation up right totally so you you grow a business to provide opportunity one thing we do here at spring is all of our employees have career development plans so yeah. trying to create an environment where they see this as not just a job. Career development plan could be um, someone wanting to be an operations manager or to learn how to uh, coach businesses. So we mentor them to along that path. Um, some of our web developers may want to be full stack programmers. So what well, are some skills we need? So we're trying to create create a career. You really reverse engineer
2: what your employees actually want to do, where they want to be. And you, you do your best to obviously support them in whatever that is.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I, I would be naive to expect, especially nowadays that you would have a young tech in planning their entire career with spring creative. So do you, do you
2: actually, do you actually encourage that type of honesty where they're like, where you have that conversation of look, I'm realistic. I understand you're young. You're going to want to experience more things. This is not a place where you potentially want to park your, park your bus and stay, or maybe it is, I don't know, but I want you to be able to be honest with me if that's not.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I go that far by, by saying, you know, tell me if you're thinking of leaving, it's more about, um, you know, what I want to do is we'll do our very best to create a great career for you in a beautiful place to live. Okay. And, um, I'm not, you know, by participating in the career development plan, I'm not, I'm not making you sign here for your 10 life years your year yeah. life away. I understand, but mm. the best I can do as an employer is try to create a culture and an environment where there's growth, there's career development opportunities, um, and and the culture they want, like a, a collaborative, fun. So that's An what we do. That's yeah. just do the best we can do, and if circumstances come up and people decide to move on, then then at least I know we've done our best as a company to attract and keep retain our employees, <clears throat> as opposed to just hiring someone's. Here's your job: you're a digital marketing coordinator, and uh, you're great at it, and and here's a raise every 6 12 months right and hopefully i have fun it. <laughs> and have do fun. good work <laughs> let me know if you get bored yeah right so this is way more proactive um, it's about succession planning it, it is about the hit by the bus manual it's about what does happen if rael's not here well i've i've got this person trained at invoicing i've got this person trained at this right what happens if one of our web developers isn't here touchwood right so, um, so the, that's kind of what I'm I'm about is succession planning, growth. I'm very, um, um, I wouldn't say yeah. I would say I'm an aggressive, grow your business, kind of a guy
0: because I see so many upsides of that.
2: You're a grower, not a shower. I'm a grower. And I, <laughs>
0: so, let's go into what's next. Then, I mean, part of the reason we brought you. On the mm-hmm. podcast at such a a time that we did was because you know we've we've sort of joined forces and I want to make sure that you're the one to tell that story. That was something that was very important to me. That there was someone um, that has a really integral part at Sproing to be able to kind of introduce this new concept that that you and and we have going on. So tell us what's next in terms of uh, this this new arm of the business, but also go beyond that. Yeah. So
1: that's pretty exciting that I get to um, talk about this. I almost have goosebumps. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking about growth. So Sprung Creative is growing. One of the things we do with our clients is is that whole strategy piece that we we're talking about. Also during that process, when we get into the marketing strategy and the brand strategy, we, we identify their target audiences and we profile those. And um, as we all know, we're sitting here talking in a podcast. Podcasts is this growing medium where there's just tons and tons of content being consumed daily. Um, I have a 17 year old that downloads podcasts before she goes to school. I have a 13 year old that listens to podcasts. I have—I uh, was talking to someone on the weekend. They're—they're they're in their 40s and they listen to podcasts. It's just becoming this mainstream. Way of, of consuming content. So when we're target audience, when we're develop target audiences for clients, there's certain times that this podcast medium is ideal, perfect for them for the right client, right fit. So as we're as spring is growing, this idea of um, of getting into to podcasts was in the back of my mind, and then I'm, I meet these uh, three young, smart gentlemen, right? <laughs> you three guys. And, uh, and here with Clinton, who's hiding behind the window, um, you have figured out how to help us take podcast content to our, our clients' markets. And so because of that, we're really excited to bring you in as our podcast team. We're and so, Sprung Creative through this podcast and some other podcasts coming out soon, we're launching our podcast services. We're really excited about it. Um, we think for some of our clients, it's just perfect because you can take this audio, you can transcribe it into blog posts. You, we can mount a video camera in our new podcast room here and video the podcast. So now you've got video content. It's just amazing so
0: and Opportunities you guys are, also, are endless it's become the real deal I mean and, and I've really um, come to enjoy spending time uh, with you and Heath especially but just everyone in the team here because it's very apparent that you guys have this uh, and I, I don't know like you, you say that you're aggressive in this and that is one way to word it but It's very calculated as well. You've figured out some sort of medium that's like, well, this would work so perfectly, but we can't do it. Well, why can't we do it? And of course, you know, sometimes luck would have it. You know, we had interviewed Sprowing or, uh, Heath from Sprowing last spring. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it all started was he, he got a call and one of your clients was like, Hey, you know, we've been thinking about podcasts Mm. and he's like, Oh. They know what they're doing on that side. And then it kind of was was birthed from there. But it's been really interesting to work with you on how do we actually make this feasible? We know we can make a good product. Like we don't have any doubt about that. Um, but how do we make it feasible? And I think joining with you guys is, is, is a really good way for us to serve the community further.
2: Mm-hmm. But also how do we make it valuable for the customer? Because exactly. we don't want to
0: put something out that's not going to be...
2: Valuable for them, and 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 something that we would be able to stand behind.
1: Yeah, and I think it it for us, it's another amazing tool in our toolkit. So when we meet sure. with a client and we talk about their budgets and their strategy, and mm-hmm. and we figure out where they're going, where they need to go, and who they want to attract to their business, then we can say, well. Yeah, well, let's use digital marketing. Let's do some Google ads, and then let's um, let's get a podcast channel going. And it just gives us another tool in our toolkit, with um, some some great brain strength that you guys bring to the to the table. we thank you. One of our one of our taglines is "Many brains, one heart," <laughs> and I do believe that you bring um, you bring some skills that we don't have. Which is awesome, right? It's remember we were just talking about that. Surround yourself with people, resourcefulness, yeah, right. And then um, I think you you get our vibe, you get our drive for collaboration, and uh, that's why I'm so excited. Yeah, it's
2: it's really been an instant connection, and uh, no, we uh, we couldn't be happier, and we uh, yeah. we're very excited for the opportunity now we've we've talked about where sproing it where is now we've talked about obviously uh, podcasting mm-hmm. where is where else is sproing going what else what else do we have are we talking are we talking sproing vancouver office are we talking what can you sproing <laughs> in, in other places or are you guys happy to just grow this uh, this one location cuz you do have worldwide customers right now
1: where where are we going? Yeah, we sometimes I pinch myself. We you know we've have amazing customers um, from Africa. Um, uh, there's a uh, safari resort. We do their marketing. There's a golf course in New Zealand. There's yeah clients all over the world. Um, we're what's next for us? I think um, we're going to be continuing to to build our brand. Uh, geographically, we're looking at different options for doing that. Um, last month, we um, we finalized a merger or an acquisition of another marketing agency studio. In that, uh, yeah, and that that gave us. Um, a Really easy introduction to some amazing clients in Grand Prairie and Calgary and Edmonton and Ontario and I think there are forty or fifty clients there. So what we're looking at doing is continuing um, our growth that way. Um, whether you want to call that organic, is uh, just continuing to to excel at what we do, do what we do, stay focused on what we do, and just and and just. Spread the word Wonderful yeah, wonderful. It's amazing. Um, in terms of specific services, you know we, we we're continuously looking at opportunities in all the different realms, so whether it's digital marketing, social media management, the video, podcasts, all of those all have um, you know SEO a new thing we're working on is doing more CRO with clients, which is um, Antonio, our, our newest hire. He's a UX UI designer, uh, which really specializes in you You spend all this money getting clients to your website. Now, how do you get your website to, to perform the way you want it to perform? What, does, C- science what does CRO stuff. stand for? Uh,
0: conversion Rate
1: Optimization. Okay. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. So, so you're not just having a presence. It's actually, you know, selling the products you need to sell or getting the messages across, getting people into appointments, things of that nature.
1: Yeah, at some stage. So whether we're using podcasts and, and distributing the content that way or digital marketing or, or Facebook, ultimately your, your goal is to send the traffic somewhere, right? Send those leads somewhere and then convert those leads to, to sales for our clients. So, um the next piece we're looking at is that that piece on the CRO side. There.
0: Wonderful. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, you know it's it's interesting because I'm reading a, a book right now called uh, the Black Swan, and it's supposedly it was a business classic. It's a very dense book about how. Essentially, humans are really, really bad at prediction. We like to make, you know, the whole premise is that we like to make predictions so that we can feel a little bit better about our jobs. So whether that's an economic prediction or a political prediction or, uh, you know, something as, as simple as a, a short-term uh, financial prediction, we're actually quite bad at understanding that because the world is more complex than we can ever really imagine we're in our own little bubbles and here and there. Um, how do you think that, that spraying is, is well set up and you and, and the team that you've got around you? I mean, uh, you know, I guess we're a team so to speak now, mm-hmm. what, uh, what do you think will keep you moving forward and adapting to all the changes rather than, you know, being able to see the future, you know, try and make those predictions that supposedly are, are, false anyway, you can't you can't really predict stuff that you don't know what's going to happen. How do you think you're well set up to roll with the punches and uh, change with the change? I think what it is,
1: is uh, what keeps us nimble, because really, that's what that that's talking about, what keeps us nimble is our ability to, to, to really understand what we're about. And we're about collaboration. Um, we're about helping clients um, with whatever their their problems are, their pain points. So as long as we remember that, then when the pain point is something that you haven't dealt with before for a client, then we'll be we'll we'll adjust and we'll figure out a way to find a solution for them. And sometimes that could result in a whole new service being created, right? Um, If you have flexibility. It's just staying nimble and really being solid, solid, solid on your core, right? Your core values, your vision, being really solid on that. And because I do this for a living, I help clients create vision and mission statements and their value proposition and all of that. Sometimes the words of a vision and mission statement, depending on who you're talking to, might vary, but the core should always be there. And for us, it's many brains, one heart, and it's collaboration. That's at our core. So keep building team, bring people like yourselves on board to help us, and um, because we're we're all we all bring different strengths, and then remembering that. Core is collaborating and figuring out how we can help our clients, and sometimes it means we might outsource something, right? We yeah. might, if necessary. Yeah, I cool. like that. Well, yeah. Go
2: ahead. Oh, man. I was just gonna if you had a if you had a thought on the on this topic, I was gonna segue into the next segment. No, go, go ahead, ahead, man. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah, I was just gonna say that was really awesome. Like, I I really love hearing about where where sproing is where it's going um i really really actually love that um lot, many brains one heart i think that's mm-hmm. a
1: phenomenal phenomenal yeah i um, don't think we invented it i think it's no, been but used I, but for us it just really works
2: It's to be right. honest though it's the first time it's the first time i'm hearing it and a company say that it's it's at the core of of what they of what they do and i think that's uh i think that's super super awesome to have that kind of um environment for obviously the employees but also for the clients to walk in mm. and yes yeah, so moving forward I'm, I know Shelby and I have our our uh, final final few questions that we usually like to, sure. to go into mine's a little go bit ahead, more man. of a wild segue before we get into the more serious one, but I just want to know, uh, what is something that you are currently obsessed with right now, whether it's, uh, in the world. I mean, you saw, you saw a news article on this, uh, these papaya seeds that are <laughs> being studied to cure cancer or, um, you know, yeah, new, uh, I don't know, a new recorder that you're, (laughs) you're playing with right now, a new instrument. I have no idea. What is something you've got some random
0: examples? Whatever comes to
2: mind first is my random example. Yeah. Series on Netflix could be anything.
1: Oh, um, on the personal side of things, it's, um, it's fly fishing. Fly fishing. It's figuring out, I'm, I'm... Tying your
2: own flies? or Yeah, I
1: tie my own flies, but I'm kind of a little... uh, I'm not very good at it. Not so much the fly tying. It's it's the casting and figure out. There's a certain kind of fishing, fly fishing called chronomid fishing, okay. which is quite a, a trick. Um, and uh, I'm just kind of a, obsessed with that right now, trying to... Hardcore into fishing, hey! That's why the canoe's on my truck; it doesn't come Uh, off. I saw that. Mm -hmm. I saw that. I was like,
0: I'm pretty sure he never knows when
1: he's gonna roll up to a a place where he can go
2: fishing. eh? The (laughs) many
1: brains here sometimes they don't know, and I just leave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think uh, I like the way david articulated that too uh, or not so much articulated but reflected on that too the the many brains one heart i think it's pretty easy for our brains to detach from our hearts at times and i think that's another thing that this complex world is very very good at is detaching us from mm. the things that matter and i love that you've you've you're an analytical side but you you're even if the other sides of it, perhaps like the emotional sides or, you know, in Sam's case, the metaphysical sides and those you're, you're not completely detached because you always respect someone else's opinion. And you'll always take that into consideration. And I think you've built something super interesting with that. Um, yeah, I just respect that a lot. Cause when I say many brains, one heart, I'm
1: not just referring to the internal you know, many brains of sprung in the team here. It's also the the experience and skills that our clients bring. Absolutely. Right? So that's where the collaboration comes. They're part of the many brains,
0: right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so that kind of leads into, into my question. My uh, you, It's my common last question. You've got someone coming out of high school and they don't quite know what to do their hearts in, you know, they have some ideas of what they want to do, but it's not the typical, I want to go to college or, uh, whatever it happens to be. What kind of advice do you give them to align their brains with their heart and find something for them, you know, at least lead them on that path to self-discovery that leads to something sustainable for them? Where do you lead them? How do you get them started?
1: Um, I think I think it's about being true to yourself and and realizing you're young and there's there's time. You know I look at my <clears throat> my career and it was the old high school university job work. And I know now I have some um, amazing daughters in my life who have have bucked that, and it took me a while to really realize that. Actually, um, I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous, right? So I, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of going college or university. Or I think it's about f- figuring out what you're passionate about, realizing you're young, you there's time, um, but thinking through your decisions, like not dropping this because you want to necessarily go to Australia for six months, right? It's it's sure go to Australia for six months enjoy yourself but maybe there's pieces you can do while you're there to work on your next step right it's like have some kind of a plan behind you but be true to yourself enjoy yourself and figure out what your passion about and it'll take time it took me until i was what 38 to figure out
0: exactly to what was to figure out that
1: it was this business strategy coaching entrepreneurship that I'm really passionate about had you asked me out of the university what I was passionate about I would've said oh the bush forestry being in the bush but it changes uh, yeah yeah
2: no I like it's that amazing. a lot and I I like that I like that you did touch on that that it didn't it did it took you a while you didn't find it till 38 and it could still change in 20 years you don't know and that still means you still have time in 20 years You can still change and do something else if you want but I like the fact that you you mentioned because I think the big pressure right now on um, People coming out of high school in their late teens or even early 20s mid 20s late 20s heck even 30s and early 30s like early 30s the pressure that you have to have it all figured out and you don't (laughs) because mm-hmm. there is time. And like you said, I, I like that touching on the be patient because it takes time, but also
1: be calculated with your decisions, mm-hmm. be calculated with them. Yeah, yeah oh, I, I like think about one. them. Don't make a decision in an evening because you had a bad day, yeah. like think through. Or you had too much wine. Or you had too much <laughs> wine, yeah. Yeah, I, you know what, I, I um, you know, there's so much that Creates anxiety for our our children now and, and everybody right in general. Um, we we tend to be so hard on ourselves. I, I'm seeing that. Um, I'm loving seeing my daughters now. You know, not putting makeup on in the morning because they don't want Feel to. Like yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're they're becoming them themselves and they're being themselves and. Um, and I, th- I think that's a healthy thing. It's a good thing.
2: It is. Um, yeah. Awesome. I well, thank you so much. Then. Thank you so much for
1: coming in, Rio. This is great. That was. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, was guys. Absolutely. Thanks
0: for teaming awesome up with podcast. us too. Really appreciate it. I'm really it.
1: excited about that. I'm, I'm really looking forward for to, it. to seeing some of the great episodes we put out. Yeah.
0: So by the time this episode is released, for anybody that's that's listening, you know, spraying podcast. Uh, you know division or whatever you want to call it is is live so holler at us and let us know how how we can help we can help you all the way from coming if you're a contact of mine or your contacts of david or your contact of rial you know come come meet with us and let us know how we can help you because there's a whole range of services that we can do and obviously on the podcast side we're we're stoked to do that and it, it's cool because it all relates back to um, our small town wealth vision, even though the small town wealth vision is 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 largely different from Sproing's in in terms of the type of um, message that we have, it, it is a little bit different, but it all leads to taking um, you know small towns and and really seeing what shines within it and making it shine a little bit brighter because we're all lost in what's going on in Vancouver what's going on in LA and New York and there's just there's so much beneath the surface and so much beauty that comes out of uh, you know a small city or a small town or a medium city even and you know we just we want to help and, and it's been awesome collaborating with you and seeing you know fielding your questions, like some of them are like, well, how do we make this viable? It's like, oh, oh, I don't know. It's been really cool to kind of explore that with you. So I really thank you for that and appreciate the time so far. Thank you guys. And
1: Clinton too, hidden behind the screen over there. Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, Thanks, Clinton.
0: Clinton. (laughs) We love you. Cool. We're out. Signing off. Awesome.